Well, hello and welcome to our debate. If uh, you receive our Times, then you may have seen on the back page this month that our debate title is Could We Be Left Behind? Pay playing to packed cinemas over the last few weeks has been a film all about being left behind, about a group of survivors who are left behind when millions of people suddenly disappear. It's a, a fiction story. But the number of people who've been going to watch it shows that the whole subject of the end times has been gripping people. And people want to know what are the answers to what really is going to be happening in the last days. Well, tonight we're going to be looking not at some fiction story, but what do the scriptures actually teach concerning the end times. And I'm delighted to say that two uh, Bible scholars are here with us to help us to understand and to receive wisdom tonight about what's going on. But first of all, let me just give you a taster of what that film is all about. And you'll just see the panic and the fear that comes into the lives of some people when they begin to think about, could they be left behind? Hi, Mom. Chloe, welcome home. So is everything set for Dad's surprise party? Uh, he got called into work. Can I buy you a coffee? I'm waiting for someone. Uh, My dad. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. Welcome aboard PanCon Flight 257 to London. My time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. Plane have simply vanished. Chris, let me in! Chris! I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. I heard some doctors talking. It's not just here, it's all over the world. One of these days the sky's gonna break Chloe, are you okay? Yeah, but Mom and Raimi, they're both gone. One of these days the mountains are gonna fall into no! Irene knew this was coming, the way it happened. How could she know that? He took them to protect them from the darkest time in the history of this world. would never do something like this. Well, the God that we know, what is he really saying concerning these end times? To help us to understand tonight, I'm delighted to say that with me, sitting either side of me here in the studio, is David Pawson and Derek Walker and we're delighted to have both of you here. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming this evening and being with us. David, you're no stranger to viewers of Revelation TV. They've seen you lots of times on the channel. You have an international, uh, you're an international renowned Bible teacher, a reputation for preaching the uncompromising uh, word of God. I understand that you began life um, studying agriculture at Durham University and then went on 
and completed an MA in Theology at Cambridge University. You served as a chaplain in the Royal Air Force and then moved on to uh, pastor a number of churches. And the one that I know you from is Milmead Church in Guildford, which many uh, people will recognize you also for. But for many years, you've been an international uh, Bible teacher. And uh, you've written also something like 40 books. Is it still 40 or is it no, more than that now? It's just over 30. Just over 30, okay, just over 30 books. Well, many of them have been read. I, I hope that I get my facts right. I was told by someone that um, you're recognized as being perhaps the most influential Western uh, Bible teacher in China today. And somebody said to me that uh, so well are your programs dubbed into Mandarin that the Chinese people think that you can speak Mandarin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, would you like to give us a sentence or two in Mandarin, David? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> David, it's great to have you. You're still traveling. You're still teaching. Uh, you've just come back from a conference in Singapore. I couldn't believe it when you managed to uh, put the whole of the letter of Romans, I was told, into about seven sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, that gives me confidence you'll be able to get a lot in tonight. But we're so grateful. David is in the midst of moving house, and so it's particularly pleasing that he's taken the time to be with us. David, thank you so much. And Derek, equally you're known to viewers of Revelation TV for your church programs. You're also known because you're quite a regular guest on Q&A show and The Late Show. With your wife Hilary, you're pastors of the Oxford Bible Church. I understand, Derek, that you were studying mathematics at uh, St. Catherine's College in Oxford, where you first heard the gospel and committed your life to Christ, and then you went on and taught maths for a number of years in schools. After marriage to Hillary, you went for three years to study at a Bible school in the United States, and then Derek returned to the UK with a clear vision to pioneer the Oxford Bible Church. Derek isn't quite as prolific an author as uh, David is. I understand it's about a dozen books that you've that's done. Right, on about We've got that figure right. Like well, that's good. Yeah. And you have a particular interest in uh, Bible prophecy and in chronology. Derek, I know that church life can be an enormous pressure and take a lot of time. So we're very grateful to you too for taking the time and joining us uh, this evening. Let me say that we'd love to hear from you as the program progresses. Um, you can write to us at live at revelationtv.com. You can text us on 07781472847. You can uh, get involved in Twitter, hashtag at uh, rapture debate. Hashtag rapture debate is the uh, sign for Twitter if you'd like to get involved. And the plan is in a moment, uh, Derek. Uh, is going to speak for 10 minutes on the subject, followed by uh, David speaking for up to 10 minutes. And then the two are going to be talking together, also with me putting in some questions. And towards the end of the first hour, they'll have an, an opportunity of summarising. And then in the second hour, we're going to be reading your emails and your texts. We're going to be putting your questions to David and to Derek. And there'll also be an opportunity for the phone lines to be open and some of your phone calls to be coming through uh, to us live here in the studio. So lots are going to be happening. But first of all, I've been asked by Derek and by David just to read a couple of scriptures to you. You'll need your Bibles tonight, so hopefully you've got them present. 
and you'll be able to turn and also hopefully you've got some paper to be able to make some notes as we go along. The first passage that we're going to be looking at is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we're going to be reading just a couple of verses, verses 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then if we go over to Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read just a few verses, verses 16 and 17 together. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. There couple of scriptures, lots more as the evening goes on. Before we start, Derek, if I said to you in one minute, sum up what we're trying to achieve this evening, what would you say to us? These uh, scriptures are about an event that's going to happen called the, the rapture, where it's not just the resurrection of the dead, but it, prophecies that say that when Jesus returns, those who are alive on the earth, who, who are in Christ, will be changed without suffering death. Their bodies will be changed into immortal glorified bodies will rise to meet with the Lord in the air. And the dead in Christ also will be raised. And so that's called the rapture. The Bible also talks about a final seven years of tribulation, uh, Daniel's 70th week, um, which will be the worst time ever on planet Earth. That's when the Antichrist comes to world power. And this is a, often a time of um, judgment, and the Lord Jesus will bring this, these seven years to a close by his return in power and glory. And so I think we're agreed on those two facts. There's this rapture, um, there's a time called the tribulation, and there's prophecies about the Lord returning in power and glory. So my belief, uh, which is the pre-tribulation rapture, is that there's a separation of seven years between when Je Jesus comes for his church in the rapture and then seven years later after this time of the tribulation he returns with his church with his saints in power and glory okay, um, you're have a, not David's the, position of course on the other hand is the post-tribulation well, rapture say, David do you want to just sum up in, in, in a moment your, your no, position all right I agree with almost <laughs> everything he says yes, yes so just David's position is the post-tribulation rapture which which is that those two events Will, will happen essentially together on the same day. Jesus will return, he'll rapture his church, and then with his church return to the earth. All right, well, there you have <coughs> We have the summary of the debate given to us, but we've got another hour and, oh, an hour and three quarters to go yet, so a lot more where that's going to be coming from. So, Derek, you're going to start for us this evening. We, we've said, would you like to present what you believe is going to be happening in the end times? And you have up to about 10 minutes Thank in you. order to do that. Super. Well, 
When we look at the prophecies of the Lord's second coming, we see two very different kinds of description. Some describe him coming in power and glory to come to the earth, to establish his kingdom on the earth, and to stay on the earth. Other prophecies describe him as a thief in the night, uh, coming suddenly without warning. Um, as a thief comes to take the valuables from the earth uh, without announcing himself and, and the valuables I believe are the believers and, and so Jesus, it seems a strange description that Jesus will come as a thief it's a, he do, he's not actually a thief because he's only coming to take what belongs to him but to the world it will seem as if a thief has come and suddenly all these believers will have been taken and so the world will wake up to the disappearance of you know, hopefully a billion uh, Christians. And so, we actually agree that the, the coming of the Lord is, is in two phases. First he comes for his church, then he comes with his church to the earth. The issue is, what's the length of time in between? Do, do these two things happen in quick succession? Uh, the church rises and then there's a U-turn, and then the Lord returns immediately? Or is there, does the church go to heaven for seven years? And then is that return in power and glory. So I don't see it as two second comings. I see it as two phases of, of the second coming. Now there, I'm going to give shortly four reasons why I believe there has to be a separation in time between these two phases. First of all, some prophecies of the rapture say that no one knows when it will happen. Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. I'm coming when you don't expect me. But if you are in the tribulation, um, and I'm assuming all the time that we take the Bible literally, um, if you're in the tribulation, you'll be able to work out exactly when Jesus returns. There'll be no question about it, uh, because Daniel and Revelation gives, gives that timetable. So there's a difference there. Secondly, before the coming in the rapture, the descriptions of the Bible is peace and safety eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Life is carrying on relatively normally. But before the second coming, it's the battle of Armageddon, all hell is breaking loose on earth. You know, it's as if, well, Jesus said, if he didn't return, no flesh would survive. It's that bad. So it's a very contrasting description of what life is like beforehand. Thirdly, if all believers are taken up in the rapture, then who is left on the earth to populate the messianic kingdom? That, because all unbelievers will be removed when Jesus returns, and, uh, and so there will be no believers left to populate the, the kingdom. To me, that's a major problem. And fourthly, there are a number of events that need to happen in heaven between the rapture and the second coming. Uh, as I understand it, that when we, uh, Jesus said, I've come, to, uh, the first thing that will happen is that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and this is really important that we're ready for this um, we, Jesus will judge us for rewards how faithful we've been as Christians and that could happen I believe at any time and then it talks about the fact that we'll be cleansed of, or, of our dead works and then we'll be presented to Christ as his glorious bride and then actually the, the marriage will happen because we see at the end of the tribulation in, in Revelation 19, we see actually the bride in heaven, and she's called the wife, and she's already passed through the judgment seat of Christ, because she's dressed in the righteous acts of the saints. She's been rewarded. And so she's in heaven just before the second coming of Christ. And so all of those events need a period of time, and then we see, of course, 
Jesus with his church returning from heaven to the earth. And in fact, John, the one of the first prophecies of the rapture is John 14.3. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and then I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And these are the words of the bridegroom speaking to his bride, saying, I'm going away. And the Jewish marriage customs were basically, there'd be a betrothal, and we are betrothed to Christ. But then the groom would go away, prepare the marital home, and when the father said, all is ready, then he will return and fetch his bride. And that's when they would be married. And meanwhile, the bride is preparing herself for that great day. And Jesus is making that promise um, that he's going to come. And then we see that the marriage has happened in Revelation 19, and then Jesus returns. But the thing I'm going to focus on most, because we could talk about many different ways of looking at this issue, it might seem a trivial issue, but actually it does actually affect a whole lot of ways in which you approach Bible prophecy. Uh, but I'm going to focus on one of them, which is the nature of the tribulation. The Old Testament prophets talked about this special time called the tribulation uh, that would happen just before the Messiah set up his kingdom. It's called the Day of the Lord, I believe. And it finishes with the climactic, great and terrible, or awesome or manifest Day of the Lord. And it's described as a period of birth pains. You see, there's a baby to be born into the earth. It's the messianic kingdom. And, that's the, and the, so the time just before that baby is born is a time of birth pains because in the tribulation it's a special period of time. It's not just the church age uh, a bit plus, you know. Uh, it's a totally uh, distinct period of time when the kingdom of God is forcing itself through to undermine and dismantle the kingdoms of this world and at the end of which... Jesus will set up his kingdom. So this is a period of birth pains as that baby is coming through. And Jesus described the start of the tribulation in Matthew 24 as the beginning of birth pains. And so that's exactly what we see in the book of Revelation when the Lamb opens the seven seals of what I believe is the title deed of the earth. He's, he's opening that title deed to prove that he has the right to take possession of the earth again. So as he opens the seven seals, judgments are released on the earth. And so my point really is here that the time of the tribulation is a time of judgment. It's the time of the wrath of God. I'm not saying that God doesn't judge at this time, but generally speaking, he's holding back his judgment. Um, as the wheat and the tares tell us. But in the tribulation, God starts moving in judgment. And 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us that we are to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in the context of the Lord's return, he's coming to deliver us from the wrath to come. I believe that's talking about the tribulation wrath. And then later in the same book, in, you read from Thessalonians 4 about the rapture. I believe in Thessalonians 5, he's staying with the same subject. Uh, the chapter division distracts us from that. But let's read from Thessalonians 5. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly. So he's saying, now I'm going to talk about the timing of this event. You know that the day of the Lord which is the tribulation, as the next verse confirms, so comes as a thief in the night. Now Jesus himself in his teaching had described his coming as a thief in the night. I would see this as almost a plain statement that the tribulation begins with the rapture. 
It starts as the thief in the night. And then he confirms he's talking about the tribulation. He says, when they say, and he's distinguishing between we, the church, and they, the, the unbelieving world, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And let's talk about the tribulation coming suddenly upon the earth. And, but he says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. So the experience for believers will be different. For us, it won't be a thief in the night. It will be the bridegroom coming for his bride. And then he says in verse 8, so put on as a helmet the hope of salvation. The hope is something future. So it's our future salvation when our body is changed in the rapture. And then he says, for God did not appoint us to wrath. The context really is, it's tribulation wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath because Jesus has taken the judgment of God for us. Uh, but instead, he says, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the salvation of the rapture, and it's the salvation from the wrath of God. And I think the whole passage fits together with that understanding. And so the tribulation is not just a particularly bad finish uh, to the church age with, with a bit of extra persecution. Billions of people will be killed in the seven years. And there's no other event in the Bible like it except Noah's flood. And I don't think, it's not a surprise that Jesus compared this event to the days of Noah. And that's in Matthew 24. So just to finish with, I want to just go there. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus said, Of that day and hour no one knows, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, I believe the flood is a picture of the tribulation, it's a worldwide judgment, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Life will be going on normally. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And it's interesting that the final sign to the world before judgment fell was the disappearance of believers into the ark. Likewise, the final sign before the tribulation flood falls will be the disappearance of believers into Christ. Christ is the picture of the ark, because the ark took the judgment instead of Noah. And so he bore the wrath of God for us. And those of us who are in Christ will be raised above the scene of judgment. And, and Jesus clarifies in, he says it will be like the days of Lot too, and Lot was actually removed from the scene of judgment before God could judge. Okay. And Almost finished. Just well, then I'll just wrap it up quickly. So, and then Jesus confirms that he's talking about the rapture. He says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left, left behind. Two women likewise. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, if the master had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so what I would say is this, that as a king withdraws his ambassadors before waging war, as any loving bridegroom would evacuate his bride before bombarding her dwelling place, so the Lord will call his church to rise to meet him before he releases the judgments of the tribulation. Okay. Derek, thank you very much for presenting that. So if we just understand you right, you believe the Lord clearly came to earth literally nearly 2,000 years ago. Yes. You believe that the Lord is going to come a second time yes. when he's going to receive his church and then he'll come a third time when he well, comes back. I'd rather say that the second coming is in two phases.
Okay. They, um, but I could clarify that if you, later on if you want Maybe to. Maybe we'll have time to yeah. do that. David, you've listened very quietly over there to what Derek has got to say, and you've come also uh, wanting to just share your understanding. The floor is yours. Derek and I live within a few miles of each other, but this today is the first time we've met face to face, and we've read each other's books. I want to begin by emphasizing what we believe in common, partly because Though this is called a debate, it's really a discussion between brothers. Mm. We both believe Jesus is coming back. Yes. That's the heart of it. That's the exciting thing. We both believe that there will be an antichrist before Christ appears. We both believe that Christ will set up his kingdom on earth and rule and that he's coming back not for five minutes but for a thousand years Amen. and at last the world will have a Christian government and we'll see what it could have been like all along. So we are really together in so much and I may surprise him by saying I believe in the rapture. I don't like that phrase, it's become a technical phrase. It comes from the Latin version of the Bible where this phrase snatched up to the Lord in the air is rapto, the Latin verb, and that's become rapture, but rapture has too much emotion in it for me, and it's become a technical term. People ask me, do you believe in the rapture? I say, of course I do, it's in the Bible, but they don't mean that. They actually mean, do you believe in the two phases, you call it coming, which I don't. Let me go right back to the beginning. One of the habits of the Bible writers is that they give a single event many aspects, many different views. There are two accounts of creation at the very beginning, one from a heavenly divine point of view and the next from a human earthly point of view. But nobody questions that that means there are going to be two, or were two creations. Both are about one creation. There are two histories of Israel in your Bible, the Kings and Chronicles. And some people think, why do they repeat all the history of Israel? But they're written from different points of view, different aspects, and we need them both. One is written by a prophet, one by a priest. When we come to the life of Jesus, we have four separate accounts. Nobody says there were four Christs. These are four different accounts of the same person. There are certain apparent inconsistencies and discrepancies between the four Gospels. Nobody questions that it's one person. When we come to the resurrection, we've got five accounts of the resurrection and there are apparent inconsistencies and even contradictions between them. Nobody questions that there's only one resurrection, that they're all describing one event. Well, you can guess where I'm coming to now. The second coming of Christ is the big event of the New Testament looking forward in hope. And hope is a very necessary virtue, especially today when people are wondering where everything's going. 
So we have this in common, Derek and I, that we both have our blessed hope in the coming of Christ back to planet Earth. But that raises many, many questions. How long is he going to stay? Why is he coming back? And we've got to touch on some of those. And we have scattered through the New Testament many different aspects of the second coming from very different points of view. But the truth lies in them all. And our basic difference is that I believe all these different things that are said are not describing two events but one. A single, not a simple, but a single event, a complex event that includes the rapture, that includes a lot about Israel, which we haven't mentioned at all yet, which includes the setting up of the kingdom, which includes what's called the day of the Lord and all that's to be done in that day. It can't possibly be a 24-hour day. There's too much to be done in it. And I think the day is there used in its more general sense in which we say the day of the horse and carriage is over. We don't mean the 24 hours of the horse and carriage, but the day. And the day of the Lord means to me the day when God takes over and the world goes God's way. We know we are of God and the whole world lies in the hands of the grip of the evil one, says John. The world is not as God intended it to be and he wants it to be as he intended. And it's the second coming of Christ that will achieve that and bring it about. So I believe in 1 Thessalonians 4 and the rapture and the dead in Christ rising. My grandfather is buried in Newcastle on Tyne and on his gravestone there are three words, what a meeting! and an exclamation mark after it. And he was referring to this chapter, but he didn't believe there were two phases separated by years. All right, Derek insists on having the word phase, but I can't help feeling it means actually two comings, the belief in the rapture. If he comes as far as the atmosphere, then goes back to heaven with all those he's collected and comes back again, a few years later, that cannot be anything but two comings. And this is the big difference between us. I believe that Christ is coming once again, not twice. And he's coming both for his church and with his church. He's coming to receive those who welcome him. And the big question comes, after they've met in the air, where do they all go? He's brought with him everybody from heaven who's fallen asleep in Christ and he's meeting those who are still alive on earth. But where are they going after they meet? The word meet is very interesting. It's not just English word, but when we arrived at the airport yesterday, someone met us and then took us to where we needed to go. We didn't take them back to London. This meeting means those who've come to meet someone and accompany him for the rest of the journey. And he's coming back to earth. In other words, I believe quite firmly that the believers are not on their way to heaven and therefore meet him on the way. 
but that they meet him and greet him and continue the journey with him so that he's accompanied on the final part of his journey, which is in fact a regular use of the old term parousia. When a king came to a city, the important people of the city went to meet him and accompany him in. Still happens. If the queen comes to a town in Britain, arrives at the airport, she isn't neglected. She's met at the airport by those who want to meet her and then accompanied back to the city. That's the old use of the word parousia. I don't find in Scripture, in the whole of the New Testament, a single verse that talks about Jesus coming back twice or in two phases or in two comings, as I prefer to say. It's always one event with a whole lot of other things, a complex event, a lot of other things, including Israel, all included in the same event. The, the writers of the New Testament look forward to one coming. And on every page they look forward to that one return of our Lord Jesus Christ to it. That's my belief. It was the belief of the early church. It was the belief of pretty well the whole church until comparatively recently. This idea of separating into two comings is comparatively modern and it provides for me an oversimplified and artificial answer to how you reconcile all the apparent inconsistencies. There are apparent discrepancies between the different aspects and they can be resolved, but they're not best resolved by saying there are two comings, not one. Okay. David, I can remember many, many years ago buying cassette, uh, cassettes of your studies on the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And you clearly are a great scholar of Revelation. Those who maybe put forward a view similar to what Derek is saying would say in the first three chapters of Revelation, there's many mentions of the church, word church, I think something like 19 mentions. And then the church seems to disappear in chapter 4 and seems to reappear round about chapter 19. Uh, did the church disappear? Why do you think that there's no mention in the those first chapters? The word church does disappear and that's all. The word church appears in the first three chapters because it's a local word. Church has two meanings, as you know, a local gathering of believers or the whole universal church of Christ, all believers. The word church as such doesn't occur in the first three chapters. Everyone is a local gathering and it does disappear. But the word saint appears and the word elect appears. And I would argue that when Paul used those two words, and when Jesus used those two words, he was referring to the church, the big church, all the believers, all the saints, the elect of God. And so, yes, it does disappear. But it doesn't say the church has disappeared. Not a word of it. Okay. 
Well, that's setting out some of the views of Derek and of David. We want to now just talk that through and uh, um, an opportunity for, for you, Derek, to be asking questions to David and David to be asking questions back and, and vice versa. And I've certainly got questions that I'd love to be able to put to both of you. So do you want to start? Do you want to respond if, to if what David just has just said? I can just do a quick said? response mm -hmm. to pick up on one or two of David's points. Um, I... I take the point that uh, just because you know there are two accounts, it doesn't mean um, it's necessarily two different of events. But we d there is something of an analogy with the first coming of Christ, uh, that, that the Jewish prophets saw the coming of Christ. We know now it was two comings. But they actually focused on the second of those, and they kind of neglected, you know, he would come the first time as the lamb, the second time as the lion. and. Because the, uh, they preferred the idea of the lion, uh, they tended to focus on those and neglect the other one. Now, it turns out that actually the Jewish prophets weren't seeing one coming, but they were seeing two. So I would say, you know, sometimes um, it is two. <laughs> Not, it isn't necessarily one. I also like the analogy of the, the parousia coming to, you know, the king is coming to town and so those particularly who uh, represent or are on the king's side or love the king will come out and greet him. And, uh, but the way I would relate that is that the situation would be, f would, he would then make an immediate entry if the town is not in rebellion against the king. But in the case as we have that the, this world system is in rebellion against Christ and they do not want him to rule over him, then it's not quite so simple as that. Yes, his own people come out to meet him, but now he's got to wage war, and he's got to take that town by force, and that's going to take some time. I mean, we know Jesus is powerful enough to do it in one day, but because he wants to save as many people as possible, he, uh, we have this seven-year where he, he is orchestrating, he's in charge, and I believe the whole seven years has to be the day of the Lord because we see that everything comes out of him opening the seven seals. And he is orchestrating this bombardment, and it's increasing in intensity. And in those seven years, he's giving many, as many people as possible a chance to come. And so I would say that my view also fits with this, this idea once you factor in the fact that he's got to overcome the enemy resistance. The final thing I just want to say, well, although it is true that the, um, this doctrine that we know is the pre-tribulation doctrine, I would say that it, there are signs of it earlier in church history. You know, there's this Ephraim, and there are other ones. On, on that, if I, I was basically saying that's a red herring, because right. that's not how we discern doctrine, mm -hmm. essentially. It's from the scripture. Yeah. But, sorry. Yeah. But, but, but is, it, is it not that this concept of pre-tribulation basically is a very modern uh, concept about 150 years old maybe 200 years old you know I find that you know we're attacked on those lines well not attacked but you know um, but nevertheless you know do people attack covenant theology because it's 200 years old you know the th people might say well the concepts might have been there before but that's when it was systemized and, and I would say it's a similar thing the, the, the systematic study of prophecy only happened after the, well I don't want to do a thing on church history, but um, from the Reformation the principle of taking the Bible literally was established, but it was not applied to the prophetic scriptures. And then maybe about 200 years ago, you know, we were taking 
beginning to take scriptures literally, and that's when the premillennial belief came through, um, as we both believe. And I believe that as they were studying scriptures literally, which they hadn't done for a long time, out of that came the pre-tribulation belief as well. And so, yes, that's when it was systematic, but you can find elements of it in earlier times, um, particularly imminence. Well, we said at the beginning we're not here to, de to debate as much as to, to have a conversation together. If there were some questions that you could ask to, to David, what would they be? I, 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 David and I agree. Um, I, I'd like to probe him a little bit on the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. um, David and I agree very much, well, I think we do, that it's, it's fairly chronological particularly Revelation 19 and 20, you know, the second coming of Christ, and then uh, Revelation 20, he sets up his kingdom. Um, but I, I see some, a few kind of contradictions there. For instance, the tribulation martyrs are resurrected in Revelation 20, verse 4. Now, that's after the second coming of Christ. But if the church goes through the tribulation then the tribulation martyrs are part of the church and they ought to have been part of that event, that complex event of rising to meet Christ as he is coming to the earth. I, so I, I see a bit of a contradiction there. Um, I don't know if you've I'm got sorry, any thoughts on that. I don't understand the contradiction. Uh, yeah. um, can you put it more clearly? Yeah. Um, if the tribulation martyrs yeah. um, were part of the church age, then they would rise to meet the Lord when he returns. Uh, yeah? And yeah. we see that in... Th so they would, be of, they would have been already resurrected in Revelation 19. Then we see a succession of events, including Satan being locked up in the pit. You mean Revelation 20? No, 19. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, do you want... Do you want you, have you got your Bible there? Do you want to just get the verse? Well, Revelation 20, verse 4, yes. we are told that the tribulation martyrs are resurrected. Yes. Mm -hmm. But they should have been resurrected in Revelation 19, according to your viewpoint. That's what I don't follow. <laughs> because Sorry. Revelation 19 is, is the second coming of Christ. And in your viewpoint, um, all believers, in the church age at least, are resurrected the dead in Christ shall rise yeah. to meet the Lord as he returns. Yeah. Yeah. But then, including but we actually... Including the martyrs. Including the martyrs, yes. Mm -hmm. and, but if we take it chronologically, it, it only says that they were actually resurrected... In chapter 20. In 20, verse 4, verse four okay. after other events have taken place. It says that they had been raised. That's all. They had been raised. Yes, yeah, yeah. it says, doesn't it, in, verse, in chapter 20, verse 4, um, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or the image and had not received his mark on their forehead or their hands. So then I saw. I suppose you're saying he only saw them for the first time. You're saying, well, actually, they were raised in chapter 19 when the... Uh, but he, he saw them raining. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. But I'd rather take up some of the other points. That, that one, I think, is 
Could you remind me of the other points you raised? Uh, can I just say, just, yeah, just to, I will leave this alone, but it, having said they, they saw it, and then it says, and they lived and reigned. And they lived. Mm -hmm. and so He saw them alive. Yeah, okay. So let's go on to the... another question? No, no, I'll let David... Uh, David, what point would you want to be saying to, to Derek? What would you be trying to get across to him? to question him on his stance. Well, can I go back to what I was saying? You, you raised the question, in the Old Testament, they did not realize that Christ was coming twice. And so they saw both in the same visions. They were looking through a telescope yeah. at distant mountains yes. and they didn't realize there was a deep valley of time between the mountain peaks. Totally with you. But that is totally cleared up in the New Testament where it is specifically stated that there are two comings. So it's cleared up within scripture. Sure. Now on such an important issue as this, that Christ is coming once as far as the atmosphere and then going back and coming again years later, that should surely be clear, clearly stated somewhere in the New Testament. But there isn't a single verse that states that. Now, I believe that for uh, the matter of resurrection, there will be two resurrections. One at the beginning of the millennium, one at the end. Mm. The first of the righteous and the second of the rest. Yes. Why do I believe that? Because it's clearly stated in Revelation. This is the first resurrection and the rest of the dead did not come to life until the second. Mm. So here's a clear statement that tells me there are two resurrections. Mm. I've searched my New Testament and I cannot find any clear statement about two phases as you call them. Mm. Just can't find but it. But I would say that you could uh, apply the same logic to the first coming and uh, you know, although we can see it clearly now that there were two, two comings, not one, there, there we wasn't can see that it clearly because it's clearly stated yes. in the New Testament. In the New Testament, but for the Old Testament prophets, yes. there, it was a parallel situation. So I'm just saying that the possibility exists because we've we've seen it happen before. Sometimes it's absolutely clearly stated in Scripture. Sometimes it's not. So. We, you know. so, so come on, Derek. D David is saying he can't see any scriptures in the New Testament that support your view. What scriptures would you give back to David? Well, I would say that you know that it's true both ways round. You know, we, we have this vision of the rapture. We have this vision of the second coming. They're very different. Um, and I, I realise that some way, some of the differences can be harmonised, but I've. I chose the ones that can't be harmonized, you know, which points to me that they are separated in time. Um, but I would say on, on both cases, you know, there's nothing that absolutely says the, the rapture's post-trib. You know, the, the shoes, you know, okay, it's the I same for both. I still want to come back and push no. you a little bit on scripture. Well, I, I believe I shared one already. Let, let, me, let me just give you one, if I may. I was listening to a message by an American preacher called John MacArthur. And, and he said, um, in his view, um, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 was a classic pre-trib rapture verse. He said, uh, 
Revelation chapter 3 is, is to a church, the Church of Philadelphia, which uh, I think is acknowledged as one of the, the pure churches in terms of the Lord doesn't say anything wrong to it. And it, and it actually says in, in Revelation 3 and verse 10, it says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth, to test those who dwell on the earth. In other words, what he was saying in the teaching was the church is going to be removed before the hour of trial, the great tribulation, comes. How would you interpret that? Well, he doesn't say remove, actually. He says keep. Okay, I will keep you, fr I I will shall keep you. Keep you from the hour of trial. Exactly as he kept the Jews in Egypt from the Pharaonic plagues. Mm-hmm. To keep their means to God, and I'm far from convinced he's referring to the Great Tribulation, because that promise could be made to every church in Revelation 1 to 3. Why is it only made to one church, Philadelphia? Because it's been faithful. And Philadelphia church no longer exists, it won't see the Great Tribulation. He's talking about the persecutions that were coming on the whole Roman Empire. And he's promising to guard them during that persecution. Okay. It's a personal message to one church. It's not a promise to every church. It's, it's just nothing to do with the Great Tribulation. It's to do with the Roman persecution. Derek, have you got a, well, some scripture? I do. Oh, can I just mention yes. something? I think it's important that it says it's to keep from Ek the hour of trial, not just keep you through the trial, but to keep you from the hour of trial. Mm -hmm. But I agree with David that it's not an absolute clincher verse anyway, because I do believe that the seven churches are prophetic of church history, but that's typology, so it isn't an actual absolute proof. Mm -hmm. A scripture that I would um, point to, one I referred to already, 1 Thessalonians 5, I think, it says the day of the Lord which by the context is the tribulation, begins as, the thief in the, as a thief in the night. But the other one that I would mention that is Luke 21, verse 34 to 36. It says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with various things, and that, that that day, and the context is the tribulation, come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. And these things in the context again is the things of the tribulation. So there's a promise of an escape from all these things which will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I mean one man's plain statement is someone else's inference, but to me that's a fairly plain statement, that w there, is an, there is an escape provided from all these things um, that will affect all the people who dwell on the face of the earth. So for those who dwell on the face of the earth, they will be affected, but there is a way to escape them all. So, Did you want to respond on that? It doesn't say escape to heaven. Well, it does say to stand before the Son of Man, no, but which is we the judgment seat of Christ. Men now by faith. It doesn't say escape to heaven. Mm. Derek, I, I, I had 
someone talking about the church in China and, and the persecuted church. And uh, I heard the expression that almost to a man, they don't believe what you're teaching, mm -hmm. that pre-trib is predominantly very much a Western thing, mm -hmm. but that for the church in China and the church which is in the persecuted church, because they feel they're already in the persecution, and, and so they really believe that, um, that when Christ comes, he will take them out at the end time. Can you understand that? I think there was a similarity in, in the early centuries. I mean, pre-tribulation was not an issue because of the persecution, they, they believed in a sense they were in the tribulation and therefore they believed that Jesus could come any time to rescue them from, from that. So yeah, I can understand that, um, you know, uh, for, for sure. Um, but there is a difference, as I've tried to explain, between persecution or the, the wrath of man and the wrath of God, which is what the tribulation... You know, I accept we, we, the church is called to endure persecution, so we're not trying to escape from that. But we are, you know, I plead guilty to wanting to escape from the wrath of God. Amen. You know. Okay, well... Could I come back on you, China? Please do, yes. I, I've, in my book I've quoted Corrie ten Boom, because when she went to tour China, she found that the missionaries, largely from North America, had taught them the pre-tribulation rapture, and she found them therefore totally unprepared for the local tribulation that came to China, which was almost as bad as the universal tribulation. And she felt so sad that they'd been taught that they would be taken out before tribulation came and therefore were just not ready for what happened that she determined to spend the rest of her life persuading, preparing Christians for the tribulation so that you're I think you're talking about a later time in China when they'd woken up to the fact that they were going through it. Right. If I can just... Well, no, you can't, unfortunately. <laughs> we have come to the end of this first part of our program. Second time, you're going to have a wonderful opportunity of asking your questions and putting your emails and texts and Twitters to us. But the most important thing is that we be ready for the coming of the Lord. And we can debate all night. But the most important thing is that our life is right with God. I want to thank you for being part of our debate tonight. We're going to just have a short break and then we'll be back in a few moments to take your questions and to look at your comments and to be able to discuss some more. God bless. Bye-bye.